The theologian James Cohn once wrote, All theological language is political. In the Public Theologians podcast, we explore the political, social, and economic implications of following Jesus here and now. Thanks so much for listening. Welcome to another episode of Public Theologians. I'm Casey Hobbs, and with me today is an old friend, Jaran Hill. Jaran, thanks for joining us today. Always a pleasure, Case. Always a pleasure. <laughs> yeah, so uh, today we wanted, uh, this episode is going to hit on uh, Martin Luther King Day, um, on Monday, the uh, 18th of January. Um, so we are going to focus um, on Martin Luther King, um, hopefully get into some things uh, that aren't quite as as well known, but maybe we'll talk about some well known things, but hopefully we can contribute something to the conversation. Um, and about, obviously, you know, a, an incredibly important figure. Um, in the history of the United States and in the world. But uh, speaking of uh, very interesting things, so this happened, Duran, since the last time we talked, um, there was a some sort of insurrection um, on the Capitol. Uh, I'm still, the jury's out for me still on what exactly to call this, um, but, you know, day of lawlessness at the Capitol maybe um and you know that's that's an interesting term lawlessness um you know you know we, we talk about uh, uh a man of lawlessness um you know there's some scriptural references there so very interesting choice of words there case yeah um so i don't know Duran, what's your what's been what have you been sitting with since then, like, what's your kind of takeaways since so the think, January sixth shenanigans? Yeah, I've been I've been calling it siege. Um, that's my preferred uh, terminology. But uh, you know, um, I don't know. It, it just it's a reminder of uh, that uh, when you sow discord and misinformation and division you know, um, that, uh, that, that we are reaping uh, a harvest of, of violence, you know. Uh, and so I think, um, you know, former um, pastor friend of mine uh, used to say, uh, uh, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. He'd say that that's the biggest lie that's ever been told, uh, is what he would say. And so, you know, words matter. And, um, you know, I've been seeing where um, uh, companies are, you know, pausing or halting uh, political donations. And um, there's been a lot of talk about ac- accountability, but uh, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's crazy, man. I could, you know, I, I know a lot has come out now, but when I was first watching it, I was thinking to myself, particularly like, what in the world is going on with the with the Capitol Police Force, and um, you know just the, the fact that that they were able to to do that. Um, but but yeah, we've seen now that that there was quite a bit going on uh, there. But uh, but yeah, it's um, 
it, it's interesting. I saw a meme that uh, that escalated steadily for four years. <laughs> uh, was was the meme, uh, and so you know, it was it was interesting. You know. Yeah. No, I think that's. I think it really does show that you know. Again, like I think you said it well. You know, the our words do matter, and um, you know, I. I I want to kind of use this moment to point out that uh, Russell Moore made uh, put out a good statement. Um, there's been several evangelical leaders that have put out statements. Some older mm, one of them. Um, so on the other hand, um, you have you have uh, you know the the conversation remains the same. Um, you know the problem is critical race theory. The problem is. Marxism. The problem is um, the, all these rabble rousers on the left, um, and it's still this inability to um, to recognize. You know, we have enabled and lifted up somebody that's perhaps uniquely dangerous to um, human flourishing, um, and. And, and also, you know, um, this sense that we've been talking about this quite a bit, but, you know, there were Jesus uh, 2020 banners at that rally and, 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 and not just at the rally, but, but at the Capitol that day. And so, um, you know, it is really, you know, uh, telling um, how this is cloaked in, in, in Christian nationalism. Uh, and, you know, it was interesting to me, you know, also, you know, I, I think another issue that I, I that, that really concerns me, um, getting away from kind of theological uh, aspect of it, but, you know, as a country, uh, how we um, do hero worship for um, military and law enforcement and, um, we saw that uh, some of the, the some of the, the ugliest of that, um, you know, of, of some of those groups participating in, in those, and so, you know, it, it's just a reminder that you know, um, I don't know. I, I think we have got to address the American cult and American mythology um, that we are, you know, the greatest nation on earth, and all of these things. I think. Sometimes we, we, we get this air of invincibility and um, it, it just, I don't know, it, 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 for me, it was also kind of one of those biblical reminders that like, hey, you know, y'all, you know, this thing is, is this close to, uh, to, being, to being run over. So uh, I think it's something that is, we have got to really, um, got to really reassess, you know, um, what it is that we believe about ourselves as a nation, uh, and, and in particular how faith plays into that, you know. Yeah, absolutely, and I think I think you're underscoring something that that again has been this kind of this kind of bizarre conversation um, over this this past year in particular, but over especially these last four years, and really it's it's gone back way beyond then. Um, it's just sometimes it's a bit more obvious now, 
Um, but it's, it is this myth-making, you know, I don't know, Duran, about your experience in school growing up, but my experience in school growing up was, you know, learning about Manifest Destiny and how we are a city on a hill um, as, as a nation. Um, you know, Ronald Reagan in the 80s really kind of, um, really kind of cashed in on that idea of being a city on a hill um, that goes all the way back to uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. But the when you actually take a look at history, and, and again, this is something that we've talked about quite a bit, um, even going back to our episode on Tim Keller's recent um, kind of um, offensive against uh, a critical race theory or Marxism, um, is that we do not have a very good history in the United States of um, actually upholding equality. Um, we, we are built on genocide. We're built on stolen people. We're built on um, our entire economy being essentially set up, propped up on free labor. Um, we're built on uh, corporations running amok um, for decades and centuries at a time. Um, we are, you know, you saw that meme going around, I'm sure last, the last couple of weeks, Duran, you know, this is not who we are. Um, <laughs> this is who we are. Um, and so I'm gonna sort of try to transition us um, to Martin Luther King right now. And, and I think we should continue to talk about where we're going with um, the inauguration even coming up this next week um, and just about what this indicates, um, what this moment indicates um, for America, um, for us as Christians living in America, um, for even folks listening who may not identify with Christianity, but um, you know, it's, it's something that we need to really deal with is, is our past and how we got to the moment that we're in so that we can actually navigate this moment well. So James Cone has a book called Martin and Malcolm in America, um, A Dream or a Nightmare. So it is, um, as the name would indicate, um, partially about Malcolm X, partially about Martin Luther King. Um, and he kind of compares, contrasts, and, um, and uses them to really kind of um, locate, I think, his own place um, theologically and, and for folks that um, might, might be identified with James Cone in, in many ways. But he says this, um, and it's a sort of long quote, but I think it's gonna be worth, worth going into, especially as we think about the city on the hill ideology, this um, greatest nation in the world ideology. So he says, quote, if European history and culture teach us anything, it is the danger of perceiving the world from the viewpoint only of one culture, as if other people's histories do not count. Whether Europeans are discussing world peace, writing history and theology, or organizing for the next revolution, they often act as if other people's viewpoints do not have to be taken seriously. If African Americans or any other people define their freedom struggle in terms of the superiority of their culture over others, they will develop a similarly arrogant and condescending attitude toward others. Martin King was right. We are bound to each other. 
not just blacks with blacks or whites with whites or Koreans with Koreans, but all races of people in the United States and throughout the world are one human family made to live together in freedom. We must learn how to live together as brothers and sisters, respecting each other's cultural history, or we will perish together as fools. Like the world, America is a rainbow. It is a nation of many races, nationalities, and creeds. America is European and African as much and much more. It is the much more, Indians, Asians, Latinos, and others, which make this country a rainbow. Jesse Jackson is right. This rainbow is not a liability. It is our strength. We are the world in miniature, a seed of hope that the people of this planet can live together in peace based on justice. No one provides a better symbol of this hope than Martin Luther King Jr. So Duran, let's just start with kind of the, the big question um, of what Martin Luther King means to you. Well, you know, I think, um, first off, I, I think of him um, as a preacher. Um, and I think that is something, um, I think, one of the things, he, he was a very, um, he meant a lot to a lot of people. Um, but I think, you know, uh, if you don't understand him first as a, as a preacher, uh, I, I think you miss a lot. I mean, he was a trained theologian. He was not only a preacher, a pastor, but a son of a pastor and a grandson of a pastor. Um, and so I think um, he, understanding his, 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 where he sits in the Black Baptist tradition in particular, I think is important. Um, and, um, you know, being groomed, uh, uh, you know, coming out through Morehouse and, and having that HBCU uh, background as well, I think are, are really uh, important to understanding him. But um, I see him first and foremost as a preacher. And, um, uh, and I think one of the things that he, he really brought out to um, the, the Black community or showcased uh, I would say not brought, but it was um, the 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 African American preaching tradition and um, a high level of intellectualism. You know, um, many people don't see those two things as going together. Um, you know, uh, they, they they think of, many folks think of African American preaching as kind of um, just a a style of delivery or. Uh, but he, he um, I think, showcased some of the, the academic um, and the, the intellectual background to some of that preaching. I think it's important. Um, but he also did not betray um, the kind of the practical practicality either. You know, um, you know, he was not some just ivory tower theologian, but he felt, and which is a very important part of the, the Black church tradition, that you know, um, the, the Bible is God's word and it's, he's speaking to us and it has relevance for now. It's not just a, you know, you know, a, a book about uh, the past, but it has some relevance for now. And so I think, you know, that that's important. Uh, but then he also, you know, 
you know, uh, in, incorporated uh, nonviolence philosophies from Gandhi and other, um, so would say, secular or other religions, um, other ideologies there. Uh, he saw that in the gospel, but he also saw that in, in Gandhi. And so uh, the, kind of what we were talking about um, uh, a few weeks ago with Trey, uh, where even if something is not necessarily biblical in its origin, doesn't mean it can't be profitable. Uh, as a theory or a philosophy, um, you know, if it's if it's consistent generally with the gospel. So, I think um, th that's what really comes to mind when I think about about him. Yeah, um, and so um, I want to kind of move a little bit too, and into um, into kind of the content and and really kind of. A bit about hopefully what is not what is not typically you know said about King right now. Um, of course, it is it's a really bizarre holiday um, <laughs> where we we spend the time venerating um, someone that did an incredible amount of of justice work, um, but was violently hated um, in his time. Um, there were multiple attempts on his life, on the on the lives of his chil uh, children and wife. Um, there was, uh, you know, the the FBI, as well documented, um, was had an entire campaign of sending him hate mail, and um, you know, J. Edgar Hoover uh, was really hell bent on um, on assassinating King for years, um, or trying to get King to. Um, commit suicide, um, and you know that is not just a theory. That's explicitly um, historical documents, um, and and so it's it is it's interesting. You know, we today I think the most the two most popular um, the two most popular things that we know about King are and and talk about and you and I have talked about it on this show is the letter from Birmingham Jail. Um, mm. Part of it is because we're located in Birmingham. I think we we all at least we gra gravitate toward that as well. Um, but that was in 1963, and then um, his um, in 1963 as well. That was uh, his "I Have a Dream" speech um, that he delivered mm -hmm. at, at the Lincoln Memorial with 200,000 people there. Um, I, I do want to talk to a bit, um, and and this is where I think the. I, those are kind of his some of his earlier works, and I think obviously they're super important, um, particularly if we're talking about letter to from Birmingham Jail. Um, it's an indictment on white liberal pastors that, um, in theory, um, supposedly agree with King on racial justice issues, um, but when it comes right down to it, they're always saying later. Um, and Martin Luther King being not only a pastor, but really a prophetic figure um, is not one that is, is content to let this go by. Um, and, you know, you have this, I think this is part of what, um, when we talk about a prophet and sort of Christian theological terms, um, it's someone that has this, um, this feel for for the the right timing of things, um, 
and also a um, an ability to to turn on the intensity when the time is right. Um, and so you, King is doing all of this his his entire um, career, his entire ministry, um, and and pushing. Um, really pushing these these ideas forward. Um, what I think too, and, and this is kind of what I would like to to go into a bit, Duran, if you're good with it, is talking a bit about his sermon in 1967, a year from his death. Uh, this is at the um, this is at the Riverside Church in New York City. It's called Beyond Vietnam. Um, a time to break silence. So this is a year to the date uh, before his death. Um, he had been speaking out um, since about 1965 on the Vietnam War. Um, and just to kind of give a, a quick little context, it wasn't until 1968 that the My Lai massacre happens. Um, and then uh, through the reporting of Cy Hirsch and others um, in subsequent years, that massacre is made public um, and sort of the public tide turns um, against the Vietnam War. But at this point in 1967, again, this is before that. So there's a, there's a fair amount of resistance, um, but the amount of popular resistance, particularly within faith communities, um, is very low. Um, and, and even, you know, we spoke with uh, Dr. Kobes Dumay uh, a few months ago about the evangelical churches, the white evangelical churches' response to the My Lai massacre is to um, kind of embrace that as something that that needed to happen. You even see Billy Graham, um, his response to the My Lai massacre is essentially to say, we all have My Lai massacres in our own um, spiritual journeys and to really <laughs> hyper-spiritualize it to say, you know, if you, um, if you have some evil in you, then you have a My Lai massacre in you. Therefore, everyone just needs to repent and move on instead of saying this is an atrocity. Um, there were innocent people um, that were intentionally murdered, um, women, children, uh, people that were not involved in this conflict, um, defenseless. And so, so yeah, so there's, there's a, this range, um, anyways, going back to 1967 with, with Martin Luther King, this is part, this is a little, um, paragraph of what he said, and I'll put the link in the show notes to his entire sermon there. He said, we still have a choice today, nonviolent coexistence or violent co-annihilation. We must move, move past indecision to action. We must find new ways to speak for peace in Vietnam and justice throughout the developing world, a world that borders on our doors. If we do not act, we shall surely be dragged down from the long, dark, and shameful corridors of time reserved for those who possess power without compassion, might without mortality, and strength without sight. Yeah, you know, I think one of the things I you know, you, you mentioned earlier um, about King um, is you know how people felt about him or the popular opinion uh, during his lifetime versus after his death, and 
I think that really is, I think, um, part of that prophetic tradition, you know, um, and the willingness to call out one's own nation, you know, um, whereas we today, you know, I mean, it, if you were to call out this nation uh, or even your own tribe or political party in this nation, you know, you'd be uh, uh, basically, uh, you know, seen as a, as a, as a traitor uh, to, to that tribe. And so I think that's important that he uh, is, is able to call out his own nation, you know, um, but, yeah, you know, the, I'm sorry, to, just to interject here too. We saw this really recently with uh, Raphael Warnock out of Georgia. He's actually, I don't know if it's coincidentally or not, but he is um, the pastor of the Ebenezer Baptist Church mm -hmm. in Atlanta, which is King's home church and his, where his father was pastor for, uh, I don't know how many decades. Um, but Raphael Warnock had that statement um, right before the, I think it was right before the general election um, that came out and was reproduced everywhere, but where he said that the love one cannot love the military and God, um, you know, to kind of paraphrase, one cannot love God and money. One cannot love the military and money. And what the point he was making was that our, our Pentagon budget is, um, grossly out of control, um, com and particularly <laughs> compared to, um, any social programs that might up uplift folks. Um, and so, you know, he was vilified by people claiming Christianity. Um, he was uh, really slandered pretty hard for that. Um, and then, you know, a second, a second example would be uh, Jeremiah Wright, um, but way back in, when Barack Obama was running the first time, you know, he has this statement um, that's sort of referring to um, back to 9-11 and, and our response, which was to hyper-militarize on top of militarization um, to create no-fly lists um, to start two wars. Um, and Jeremiah Wright said, God damn America. Um, and that was such an inflammatory statement that even Barack Obama kind of immediately, you know, distance himself from his old pastor and you know you hear it today and you're like yes that he was not saying that he wants America to fall into a black hole he was saying that our sins are out in the open um, he was saying that our um, that our contempt for the rest of humanity is um, something that is inescapable and must be dealt with well, it, it's, you know, a word of condemnation. It's like the prophets of old say, woe unto you, you know? And so, uh, you know, and, and, and it's interesting because growing up in the, you know, in black church, particularly in Sunday school, you know, uh, of course, you know, the answer to everything in Sunday school is, is Jesus, you know? Uh, but, I, you know, there is, there was this kind of um, sense of, you know, just, particularly, um, you know, thinking about Martin Luther King and 
uh, a Christ-likeness um, in, in, in the way he lived. Uh, you know, again, particularly coming from uh, the Black Baptist tradition, he was, you know, he, he was our patron saint, if you will. And uh, he was highly, highly revered in that. Um, and, you know, it is, um, it is it, you know, I, I think that's the, the problem, I think, with a lot of uh, pastor theologians today is that there is this kind of you, you you have to choose really you know do you want to be well respected popular do you do you want to die early you know I mean he was literally killed for his message you know and so uh, you know it's it's yeah it's something you know um, and then you think about even um, his death um, you know, he was advocating for sanitation workers uh, in Memphis. And so, um, you know, again, this, this kind of, um, this, this, this practical theology, this theology that can be seen, I think is so important um, when we talk about Martin King. Yeah, and to kind of play off that too, you know, it was the beginning of the Poor People's Campaign and sort of sort of the end of that iteration because it was so quick um and then you know you have how many years later uh now Doc, reverend dr william barber is uh, has re-engaged the poor people's campaign um and you know the scale that 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 is now i think would be hard even for king to contemplate um in his day um but it's what strikes me even saying that out loud is just demographically what what has changed since those days you know you still have the the people that are advocating for the poor the people the the pastors that are going out there and saying that a $15 minimum wage is a more the moral thing to do um and that the folks ought to not be living in poverty and on the streets when we have such an incredible amount of wealth still in America. Um, that is the, still the William Barbers of the world. Um, that is that is not sadly the John Pipers of the world. Um, that's not the Tim Kellers of the world. Um, that is that. Um, instinct and that um, discipline to step out and connect your theology to the needs of those in your communities and and folks that may not be in your communities um, I think is really it's still the domain of the black church in America it's it's not something that the white American churches, by and large have engaged in. Do you think that's fair to say, Adrian? Well, you know, I, 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 would, I would agree with that in, in some respects, but I, I think in some ways, I think, you know, um, it, it, it's hard if you're not marginalized in a marginalized community to, to yeah. see that, you know? Absolutely. I mean, I, I think of, even you know churches who have a missional culture um, and, and you know kind of a, a missionary focus as far as you know overseas and things. I think that flavors how because they're in contact with these people. Uh, but you know if you if you're 
in contact with, um, you know, if you're if the folks you're ministering to are, you know, professional middle class folks, you know, um, you don't you don't see these things addressed. And so I think this is, you know, important to hear other voices and, and to listen to other voices. And um, yeah, but I, I think you're you're right in that respect. You know that um, you know you, you you've got to have some proximity. Uh, to folks who are suffering uh, and able to be able to, to speak prophetically in, in that way, you know, um, yeah. and, and I think that, you know, um, the, the other thing I, I think that I appreciate about King is, um, you know, he was not a um, political puppet, you know. Yeah. Um, he, 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 he worked, um, you know, with, uh, Kennedy and, and Johnson, uh, on, on quite a bit. He, he coordinated with them, but then there were times where, you know, uh, folks thought that he was moving too fast, but he, he kept going, you know? And so I, I think that, that again, that willingness to challenge and I, I do think this the sense of what is right morally, um, you know, drove him uh, is his world as well as his kind of uh, you know biblical imagination, you know. Um, and I think so many times again, folks are are driven by by either their associations or what have you, uh, what's what's uh, politically prudent. Um, and, and things of that nature. And so I think that is important. And I think, you know, uh, as you kind of referred to in that, that Cone quote, I think what we're grappling with, and I think, I do think America is special and unique. Uh, I don't think we're better or worse than anybody else. But I think trying to make this multiracial, uh, multi-ethnic uh, democratic republic work um, every time, you know, we, we move the needle on it, we have this big, this big, uh, um, you know, um, uh, backlash. Mm -hmm. And so um, I think that's what we are, are seeing. I, thought, I think that's what we saw on uh, Wednesday the 6th. And I think uh, until we embrace that, uh, but, you know, one of the problems with, you know, I think our country is, we do, you know, view things as winners and losers. And so if we, if you view things that way and somebody else starts winning, that means I'm losing, which is not always the case. You know, sometimes we can have a win-win, like healthcare, that could be a win-win. It doesn't have to be, you know, I win, you lose. It yeah. can be a win-win. And I think I'm interested to see how the Biden administration approaches things, if we can get there, and you know. But I, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not so optimistic. You know, uh, I, I want to be hopeful, but uh, I, you know, even seeing senators and, and folks change their mind about their votes, some of them, not all of them, uh, after the evening. Uh, but you just wonder how how long does it take? Does this, does this, you know? rain in our memory um like a 9-11 i don't know that it does i don't know that it does and i, 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 I wonder yeah. one more thing that we 
we forget. Like, and honestly, like something like, you know, the assassination of, of, of Dr. King, you know? Um, now, I think it was probably really powerful for those folks who were there, but, uh, you know, we don't, like you said, we don't talk about that, you know? We, when we talk about Kennedy, I think we, you know, we think a lot about his assassination and how that changed the world and things like that. But, um, you know, I, I, I think, you know, it's, it's interesting. I wonder, again, how, how long before this fades from the national consciousness? Yeah. Yeah. And, and to kind of circle back around to that, you, you mentioned that King was not a political puppet. And you just contrast that to those that have supported Donald Trump in this this last four years from um, the religious elite, and it's it's really a stunning contrast. Um, you had Franklin Graham out there this last week putting out just a, an absolutely deranged statement um, that I don't even really want to deal with right now. It was it was deranged. Um, I'm not going to link to it in the show notes. Um, y'all look it up on your own, but there the naked quest for power for these folks and, and their unwillingness to separate um, and be able to call evil evil and good good um, is, is really a stunning failure um, of the religious establishment as, as we know it. Um, and there was, uh, you know, <laughs> King was giving this speech that, that I'm kind of digging into uh, at 1967 at the Riverside Church. He was giving this um, during the LBJ administration and LBJ had just passed um, some really big civil rights legislation. Um, he was going to pass some more um, after uh, some uprisings post uh, ass assassination of King. Um, but that was part of even within his own movement, King got an incredible amount of pushback for opposing publicly the Vietnam War in, in such stark moral terms. There, there is no uh, both sides of, um, of his opposition to the war. Um, and just to, to kind of land again on that biblical imagination that you were talking about, Joran, Another quote that I wanted to read from, from that sermon, he says, quote, a true revolution of values will soon cause us to question the fairness and justice of many of our past and present policies. On the one hand, we are called to play the Good Samaritan on life's roadside, but that will only be an initial act. One day we must come to see that the whole Jericho Road must be transformed so that men and women will not be constantly beaten and robbed as they make their journey on life's highway. True compassion is more than flinging a coin to a beggar. It comes to see that an edifice which produces beggars needs restructuring. Yeah, I mean, he, he King, if you, if you look at some of his work, King, he went against capitalism, um, nuclear armament. Uh, he again. He he felt like the Bible spoke to the issues of the day, and uh, you know he he was not afraid to engage in that dialogue. And um, 
but yeah, it's uh, you know, so so yeah, I mean, I mean, and t- we're talking about in the middle of Cold War too. Yeah. You know, this is not just you know some just kind of philosophical mumbo jumbo. You know, and so um, you know, it just yeah, it, it and I, I think that's the 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 big thing too that I I take from King is you know, and, and I look at this a lot of times when I I'm in, encountering folks and. Um, reading some of their work and you know sometimes I want to know particularly from from pastors and preachers who speak out and do these like public statements and things like that what is it what did it cost you you know uh, and you know Al Mohler it, it didn't cost him anything I mean like what is it what does it cost you uh, are, are you willing to disagree with folks where it's going to cost you something you know yeah. Um, and, and so I, I think, uh, you know, you know, and I know you, uh, with Bonhoeffer, I know that's probably, uh, getting a, a lot of your juices flowing, but I, I, I think there, there's something to that, you know, uh, for you to stand on principle, w- w- what is it costing you? Uh, cause folks throw out cheap jabs all the time and it's mm-hmm. easy to pick somebody else, but. Are you willing to 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 come out and take a stand on the issue when it will cost you something? You yeah. know, um, yeah, yeah. And I think that's I think that's why um, even folks that I think sort of don't know much about King except for the letter from Birmingham Jail and the um, I have a dream speech. Um, Maybe the I've been to the mountaintop uh, just because that's an iconic speech and it was literally the night before he died. Um, but I think that's why even his work has so much staying power. Um, and, you know, his, again, his ability to connect, um, he, he could have easily uh, just spoken to, even stayed in his lane, you know, um, spoken to civil rights issues. He could have probably got uh, more voting rights um, legislation passed. He could have um, been kind of become like a spectacle, um, you know, and and kind of an oracle that speaks from on high every now and again. Um, But again, to kind of, to go back to to James Cone, this is another really great piece that, that he mentions. He says, With the Black church as his base, Martin moved the Black freedom struggle from the courts to the streets, from a polite discussion between the elites of two groups to a life and death struggle that rocked the nation. Martin often said that the court could declare rights, but it could not deliver them. Blacks themselves had to take the initiative to make sure the equal rights laws were enforced. And so, and he goes on to to talk about just the solidarity um, that Martin Luther King um, and also Malcolm X um, showed to the folks that they were speaking with. Uh, Malcolm came out of um, a place of pretty, pretty, pretty intense poverty, um, but Martin Luther King again, he was the the son of a prominent pastor. Um, you know, in his world, he could have had it. He could have made it fairly easy for himself, um, but. It didn't, it didn't really matter what allies he made along the way, he was going to continue to push for 
the truth and push for um, the world to be a just place um, where everyone is unjust. Yeah, and I, I think, you know, um, I think, you know, mobilizing folks, uh, I, I think that was a, a really important part um, of, 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 you know, his legacy and, and, and what he's done. Um, and so I think, you know, when we, we look at him, um, you know, I, I think, you know, it, I don't know, it, it just, it's encouraging to me in some ways um, uh, that, you know, um, some, you know, and I think we look to sometimes as like this one person, you know, uh, has accomplished all of this. But I think it's important to realize that he worked with a lot of people to do what he did. But also, you know, that, uh, as you said, he, he's still on the shoulders of, for a lot of, of a lot of folks, you know. Um, you know, his grandfather and father and, and um, the education and mentorship he had at Morehouse um, from uh, Benjamin E. Mays and Vernon Johns going before him at the uh, Dexter Avenue uh, Baptist Church in, in Montgomery, uh, starting the, 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 the kind of uh, civil rights uh, struggle. And he was able to capitalize on these things. And so, um, you know, I, I think uh, when we look at him, you know, we've got to see that, you know, he didn't do it alone, uh, but he he's building on what others have done. Uh, and he, he just happened to be in a place where he could be a mouthpiece for that movement. And um, that gives me hope that if we, you know, move that ball forward, if we keep uh, a pushing, if we um, do what we can, it may not necessarily be us that are, are able to to see those um, those results, but uh, maybe those that are coming alongside us or after us can um, can accomplish a lot and, and, and actually affect change. Yeah, I think that's a good word. Um, I wanted to I want to end on where he ends that speech uh, in um, in the Riverside Church, the the sermon um, in 1967, but. I guess kind of one, if, oh, I wanted to see Duran too, if you had anything more that you wanted to, um, to add before we, before we close together, before our one more thing. Well, my, my, my thing I want to say is Stevie Wonder. I don't know if you heard the birthday song by Stevie Wonder. Uh, it is used uh, many, uh, many times at birthday parties, particularly uh, for, for, for black folks. Uh, you see the birthday song and then you see Stevie Wonder's birthday song. Um, but I didn't realize this before. I've sung this for 35 years. But um, I, I want you to, if you can, at some point when you're editing the video, uh, play the last part of that song. It was actually uh, uh, part of the advocacy movement to get uh, Dr. King's um, birthday recognizes the federal holiday. So if you listen to the verses of the song, he, he, he talks about King. And so it's uh, actually a, a tribute to him, which I thought was, was pretty neat uh, from a song that I come to love, but had no idea of the historical significance. Well, that's great. I, I was not aware of the Stevie Wonder happy birthday song, um, but now- And you can find a link to that in the show notes.
that I think that would be a lovely way to end this. Um, well, Joanne, it's been so great catching up with you. Um, these days, we don't get to talk as much as as uh, we could in the past, but we'll have we'll have our little get-togethers uh, at least every month on this podcast, um, if not more. Um, but I wanted to again end with the way that uh, Martin Luther King Jr. ended his speech um, entitled Beyond Vietnam, 1967. He said, and if we will only make the right choice, we will be able to transform this pending cosmic elegy into a creative psalm of peace. It will make, if we will make the right choice, we will be able to transform the jangling discords of our world into a beautiful symphony of brotherhood. If we will but make the right choice, we will be able to speed up the day all over America and all over the world when justice will roll down like waters and righteousness like a mighty stream. You can say nothing else after that. <laughs> And that's our show for this week. Thank you so much for listening. We would really appreciate it if you shared our show, subscribed, rated it, and reviewed it on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to support our show, you can do that on anchor.fm. If you'd like to get in contact with us, that's publictheologianspodcast at gmail.com. Now go in peace to love and serve the Lord and your neighbor in concrete material ways. <laughs>